Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of life. Thank you for the hope you have caused to dine and to to dawn in our hearts. And thank you for this invitation to be here today. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak, that you would speak powerfully, that you would speak deep into our hearts, Lord, that you would shine a light on those places of shame, those places of guilt and sin, Lord, that you would root those out and that you would bring healing, transformation, and redemption. Lord God, we turn to you now. And we ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us and that your hope would be made manifest here today among us. Give me your words to preach your gospel, and we pray that you would draw us close to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. I am so excited and glad to be back with you. It is such a treat. I couldn't even sleep last night. Honestly, I tried to go to bed earlier so you get the best of me. Right, I got into bed at like 9.30, ready to get a good night's sleep. At like 11, I looked at the clock. At midnight, I looked at the clock. At like 1.30 or something, I looked at the clock. At 2, I looked at the clock. At 3.15, I looked at the clock. At 4 something, I looked at the clock. And then I got to get up, right? At 6, so to be here with you all. So it is a treat to be here. So I wanted to give you the best of me, but you just get me. So... You'll be used to this, like, sleep-deprived version of me. This is how I normally am. So, uh, as you know, the last three months we were on sabbatical. And on this sabbatical, we, were, we drove the, um, the length of the Baja Peninsula in Mexico and uh, spent time in a couple different places there on that peninsula. Once you hit Tijuana, there were a thousand, we drove 1,051 miles to get to the end of the peninsula. It's long, right? It's a long spit of land out into the Pacific. And many parts of it, because of the route we had chose, were going to be off-road, which was going to be a lot of fun, right? So large, so we drove sections that would have been on the Baja 1000 route. We got to um, see places that you don't normally see from the highway, and I thought that was all just a hoot. Um, some places where it was paved, you wish it wasn't, because it was the paved road was that bad, huge potholes, or or they'd have like arroyos, like these dips, they call them vados, and you just drop down in your car, go wham, and God forbid you're going too fast or it's nighttime. I mean, you just take your suspension off on that. And so I knew that the road was going to be rough and there were going to be some difficulties, and that large, like for hours at a time, there would we would not see another car or a house or a gas station or anything. And so I tried to plan accordingly, so we set up Tara's car with, you know, I like fabricated this mounts on the roof for a big off-road jack to be on it. I set it up so we could have a big shovel that we could carry up there too. Uh, I, I divided up into different things, like, okay, so you get stuck in sand, what do you need to extricate yourself? So I got these, like these ramp things that you can dig under the tire and put those in, and the tires can grab them and climb out. Because I thought, what if we go to a, like a desolate beach and get stuck? Right? It's not like Baywatch is coming to help us out. You know, what are we going to do? Got to get out somehow. And then I had like toe straps and um, jumper cables in case there happened to be somebody else. Tire patch kits. I mean, there's cactus everywhere. It's the desert, right? You drive over one of those cactuses and they will pop your tire in a second. So what are we going to do? How are we going to patch our tires? So I had a tire patch kit. I had 
like this pump that plugs into our battery, all these kind of things, right? Re- tried to be ready for everything. And like, if you know me and my sermons, cars often break down around me. So I brought a whole host of tools so that I could repair some things on the car if things went bad. Um, you know, I tried to think of everything. I color-coded it and like set it all up. This is not my nature to be prepared or to be organized, but I did, right? The stakes are pretty high when you're hours away from civilization and it's 105 degrees and your car breaks down, right? You've got to have, be able to get back. So I did all this, spent all this time doing this, and you know how many times I used all that stuff? Once. We had to blow up some pool floaties. And so I had, um, I used the car, the pump that I plugged in the battery. Yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. Because one night we slept on the beach, and so we, um, we just bought like pool mats and slept on those things on the beach. It was really awesome. Until like two in the morning when the winds came in. Like insane desert winds. Like I thought I was going to get floated away like Aladdin on the magic carpet. It was like that kind of thing. It was, that was a lot of fun. Now, so I was all prepared for this whole area, right? This whole area of like car stuff, right? Because car stuff is relatively easy to prepare for. Relatively, I say. Um, you know, you can kind of anticipate the problems you might have. What I wasn't prepared for was what I would find out in the desert. And that was the profound presence of God. Right? There was no toolkit I could prepare for that. There was no special color-coded thing I could pack to be ready for encountering God face-to-face. But there he was. There he was. Yes. And out in the desert, we have Moses in our passage from Exodus in the Old Testament. Now, you remember Moses' backstory, right? Born a, a Hebrew boy in Egypt. And was it easy to be born when he was born? No, because what did Pharaoh say should happen with boys? Kill him, right? Kill the boys. So that's when Moses was born in Egypt, a time when his life was in jeopardy. If his parents had followed the law, he would die. The Egyptian law. And, but instead, uh, Moses, his mom, out of fear that some night they would come and raid her home and take their, her son away to kill him, uh, she put him in a basket covered in pitch and tar and put him in the reeds on the side of the river. And who found Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. That's right. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. And where does Moses get raised in? With Pharaoh, right? In the palace, right? Moses has this royal upbringing. And everything is going swimmingly well for Moses until one day he's walking along and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And what does he do? Kills the Egyptian. And what does he do with the body? Hides it where? In the sand, right? And like many mafiosos before him, uh, or after him, he tries to do that, hide the body in the sand, but the bodies never stay hidden, do they? Right? And so Moses runs. Moses tries to run from his guilt. How fast do you have to run to get away from guilt? Pretty fast. Does anyone ever run fast enough? No, I haven't. I'm still trying, but I have not outrun my guilt yet. And Moses doesn't either. He runs out into the wilderness. And there, after many years, he has this encounter with God in Mount Horeb. Now, you might know Mount Horeb by its other name, Mount Sinai, which is where the Israelites come back to to get the law later on. 
Now the encounter unfolds like this. Moses is out in the wilderness tending the sheep of his father-in-law. What's his name? Jethro. Jethro of Beverly Hillbillies fame. Right? And so he comes with his sheep to Horeb, which is described as the mountain of God. There he sees something that attracts his attention. He sees a burning bush. Much like the sign of an In-N-Out burger uh, beckoning in the nighttime off the interstate, it draws me to the next exit. So did this burning bush draw Moses to this encounter with God. When Moses arrives at the bush, the Lord speaks to him. And the first thing the Lord says to Moses is, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. So we see in this that God knows Moses. He has known him, he knows him, and he will know him. And Moses replies to God in the way that we hear so many people in the Bible respond. He says, here I am. Here I am. I'm present, I'm available, I'm listening. Um, If you ever are wondering what to say when you hear God speak to you, if you feel him pulling your heart, here I am is a great biblical response, right? Just for to have that in your back pocket so you're prepared. Here I am. Then the Lord gives Moses a warning. He says that Moses is standing on holy ground. This place has been changed and sanctified by the presence of God. Now the Lord identifies himself to Moses, that he is the God who was with Moses' father and with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is known and God is faithful. And you see in the way God introduces himself to Moses, you see this history, right? God is not saying, hey, I just showed up on the scene and here I am, I want to introduce myself to you. No, he's saying, I have been with you and your people for generations and generations. In response to this, uh, Moses has a perfectly human response. He hides his face. Now, why would Moses hide his face from God? Guilt. Guilt is a good reason to hide your face. What else? If I can't see you, yeah, like my kids, right? Like put your head under the sheets and the boogie monster won't get you. Yeah. Guilt. Absolutely. Fear. Uh, Moses is terrified. I mean, he's got a bad, like, you know, he committed murder one. Right? Is that a big deal? Yeah. But do you have to uh, break one of the big ten to be... Afraid when God sees you see him face to face? To feel ashamed? To feel unworthy? No. That is who we are when we come before God. You don't have to have murdered somebody to feel ashamed or to feel your guilt to come to the surface when God is present. All of us have that, don't we? All of us have that guilt. And we don't even want our neighbors to know, much less God. And so there is Moses hiding before God. Then the Lord tells Moses what he's doing. He's like, I'm coming down. I've heard my people. I've heard their their, um, cries for help. I am coming down to rescue them. I'm coming down to deliver them from Egypt. And I'm sure Moses was like, amen, God, you go get them. You come down and you get those people and you bring them out. And I'll be waiting right here at the park and ride. And I'll pick up with them and we'll all go together to the promised land. It will be great. But then the other shoe drops, right? And we hear the rest of God's plan. How is God going to get his people out of Egypt? Moses. Moses. He's going to use holy Moses to get his people out of Egypt. And there's God calling right now. Get ready. 
Moses is not at all excited about this second part of the plan. He is not at all excited that he will be a part of God's plan and that it is going to be him who's going to be the human talking to Pharaoh and trying to work this out and get the people out. He's afraid. He's afraid. He stutters. He's not good at public speaking. You know, he's never been a part of Toastmasters. He just has always had a hard time. Like, he does not want to be a part of this plan in this way. God redirects Moses. Because at this point, Moses is only looking at himself. Moses is saying, how am I sufficient to do this? And realizes he can't. He's not qualified. He can never do it. God says, look at me, Moses. I am faithful. I am powerful. It's not your strength that you will operate out of. It is mine. And so you will be successful because I am with you. And then the Lord describes himself in one of the coolest phrases in the scriptures. He says, I am who I am. Now, this might bring our minds back to Popeye, but that actually has nothing to do with it. Um, God is saying here that I am, like I am present, I am here, I was, I am, I will be, I am with you, and I am not going to change. I am who I am, and I will be faithful to you. I have heard my people's cry. I know that you are afraid. I know your history. And I will be with you. Because I am who I am. And in a world of change, in a world where everything seems swirling and uncertain around us, where the ground seems like shifting sand, to know that God is consistent can make all the difference, can it? For Moses it did. Now, I went out into the desert prepared for all kinds of things, right? Prepared for lots of problems with the car, of which we had none. But I was also thinking and willing in my heart to say, here I am to God. But I was totally unprepared for what I found. God is so much more than you and I could ever hope for. So much more powerful than we could ever expect or understand. So much more loving and merciful than we could ever anticipate. So much more profound than we could ever conceive of. That is the God who is present. But he wasn't just there in the desert of Baja. God was here too. How did you see God working when I was away? How did you feel God working in your hearts? How did you feel God, yeah, preach it. How did you feel God drawing you and revealing himself to you? How was he with you? Now, that doesn't mean everything was good, right? Just because we feel God working with us doesn't mean that everything is good, right? You might have found him in the bottom of a pit. I've done that many, many times in my life. Realized I'm at rock bottom and there is God. Life might be falling apart for you right now. Where is God in that? You might have lost someone you love and care for. Where is God in that? Where is God? And how has he been working? My hope is that you and I will share these stories with one another. That we'll ask each other, not just me asking you and you asking me, but you'll ask one another. How has God been working in your life? I mean, there's a lot of weather to talk about. 
There's a lot of like, you know, hurricanes and fires and things like that that we can discuss and which are profound and important to discuss. But also, we should be asking each other, how is God working in your life right now? How are you seeing him reveal himself? May we encourage and challenge and bless one another. Because as we share these stories, they give us the ability to discern the movement of God and how he is drawing us and pulling each and every one of us and to discern a direction forward together. So may we ask each other, how is the Lord working in your life? And may we listen and be changed and strengthened by those revelations. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you use broken people like us to proclaim your good news. Lord, we, like Moses, realize our insufficiency to even be a part of your plan. And yet, Lord, you invite us to be here. You invite us to be redeemed through your Son, Jesus Christ. You invite us to be forgiven, Lord, despite our sins. And we turn to you now. We commit to you our insufficiencies, our brokenness, our hurtful actions and thoughts. Lord, we turn them over to you and ask for your healing, for your redemption, for your peace, for your life to be breathed into us. Lord God, may your Holy Spirit refresh us and restore us today. Lord God, help us. Help us to tell our stories. Help us to tell our stories of of your working among us, Lord, and your revealing yourself. Lord, and if we haven't felt you working, may we say that too, honestly and openly. Sometimes there are periods in our life where we don't feel you working. We just feel like we're adrift. And Lord, help us when we do uh, have that experience, Lord, to, to invite others into that moment with us so that we can have companions. Lord God, give us direction, give us strength, fill us with the hope of your gospel and restore and renew us that we, like Moses, Lord, can be a part of your plan to bring people from slavery and bondage to freedom and peace. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.